For our podcast today, we're going to look at the subject of the doctrine of humanity and the image of God. And as we start off, we're going to listen to a short interview from Richard Wormbrand. He was a Christian in Romania all through the communist years, suffered for the Lord many things, and we're going to hear his words and then try to introduce the talk. Thank you for listening. I knew that even in the van of the secret police, I am in the hands of the almighty God, and this gave quite to my heart. I was led to a prison which is 30 feet beneath the earth. I knew that even in the van of the secret police, I am in the hands of the almighty God, and this gave quite to my heart. I was led to a prison which is 30 feet beneath the earth, and for years I was kept there in solitary confinement. Don't think that I speak about my sufferings. I speak to you about the suffering of my whole country and of the church behind the Iron Curtain, which has given in these years innumerable martyrs, heroes, and saints. I have been among the little and the weak ones in prison. I speak about these great heroes of faith. In my case, you can see what happened to them. For years we were kept, everyone alone in a cell. Never have we seen sun, moon, stars, snow. Never have we seen a man except the interrogators who beat and tortured. Air entered through a tube. Never have we had a book, never a bit of paper. When after many years I had to write again, I did not remember how to write a capital D. We lay on a few desks. We looked to the ceiling. That was all. Never could we hear in this prison even the slightest noise. The guards had closed shoes, and there was a silence which you could cut with a knife. And now, in this absolute solitude, we could experience if Christianity is true or not. I am a man a pastor apart who doesn't know the Bible. I have not read it 14 years and I have forgotten it. I have forgotten my theology, but I have touched spiritual realities. We have touched the world of angels and with great humility we can reproduce the words of the apostles in the first epistle of St. John. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard with our ears, what we have touched with our own fingers, this we tell to you. The first time when we were put in solitary confinement was like dying. Once the angels of death will take you too, and you will remain alone with the remembrance of your past life. It has been a horrible time. Every one of us lived again his past sins and his neglects of duties. 
We remembered everything which we have done wrong. We were now under the eyes of God. And we remembered as often as we have said some bad wo word to somebody. We have made some bad deed. We were in prison with one of the greatest soul winners of Romania, something like a Billy Graham of ours. And he told us afterwards that in these years of solitary confinement, he had horrible remorses for the following thing. He had once preached in a great meeting, 400 souls surrendered to Christ. And when he left the meeting, a young man ran after him and said, Pastor, I would like to speak to you. And the pastor turned back and said, I am very exhausted now. I can't. Come sometime. Come another time. And so this young man went away and he never saw him again. Then the communists came to power. On a Sunday, this pastor has preached thrice. He was very tired. In the night, the secret police came, took him and submitted him to, an, to a non-stop interrogatory of five days and five nights. And now he could, out of fear of the communists, out of fear of tortures, he could what he could not out of love to Christ and he said to us that I wept during many days asking myself how I will appear before God having brought to Christ only 400 when it could have been 401. So we all had an unimaginable pain in our hearts thinking that we have not done our utmost for the highest for the one who has given his life for us on the cross. So I've watched this video more than a few times, and each time it's just like it's just like a slap in the face, but it's also encouragement because it's so easy to gauge ourselves by the effectiveness of other people that we see in the church. And often, no matter what church it is, and most of the time in the U.S., a lot of people are really not that passionate about serving the Lord by way of bringing people to Christ, right? Like, we're not casting stones. It's just, it's just kind of the way, it, it's the way it is. It's just something that doesn't really bother a lot of people. But when they were in prison, it brought everything back. They had time to reflect upon what they had used their time for. So I hope that these studies that we do are not just intellectual um, activities or ways to increase it. Like the one pastor said, I've forgotten my theologies, my theology, but I've experienced spiritual reality. And those two things don't have to be separate unless theology is just a philosophical thing. I believe this, I believe this, therefore this. But what we do believe about God, it, it, it affects how we live for him. So I'm just so encouraged by, by you guys being here. I'm desiring to learn about the Lord. So, so sometimes when we study these things, and it seems almost academic in a sense, it's for the purpose of preparing ourselves for when we may meet people who believe things that are not going to, to bring them to God, right? They're following down a road they think is right, right? Like, like the Buddhist friend, you know, you know, there is a way that seems right into a man, Proverbs chapter 14, but in the end, there is the way of death. And I think that we, um, 
As the Lord continues to give me and give us as a church strength, we've got to get far more radical than we are. Um, the Lord has blessed us. Um, you know, we're, we're able to make budget, and I don't know exactly all the numbers. I think we're able to, you know, go over that time to time, and um, attendance and so forth is, is good, and we've seen some people get saved and join. But I tell you what, there's, there's a, a, a huge, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, right? There's a lost world out there, one life. There's a, a painting picture my parents had um, in the house growing up, <clears throat> and it said, one life, y'all probably know this, Twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that pastor said, how can I appear before the Lord with 400 when it could have been 401? I'm going to share an illustration on on Sunday if the Lord doesn't lead me away from it. It's a dream that uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had. And it is a powerful... I may show the video. And there's a video someone put together on YouTube. May do that, I'm not sure. But it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a vision, a dream that the Lord gave him um, that has to do with exactly this and where we are. People who have been saved from a certain death, and this is Titanic time, and so we can use that metaphor as well, um, who are on, who've been saved, but who want Jesus. It's, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but, it, but it's basically Jesus has delivered these people uh, from everyone sinking. It's just like Noah's flood all over again. And Jesus is saving people, pulling them upon uh, this rock that he saw in his dream that's symbolic of Christ, who's the rock that the church is founded upon. And then uh, he says that many of the people that Christ had pulled upon the rock begin to gather in groups with themselves and want Jesus to come over and be with them. They begin to seclude themselves and turn their backs upon everyone else who was still out there drowning. And you see, and it's just, it's so powerful how Jesus calls these people who he has saved to come assist him and throwing lifelines to people who are still out there. Very, very, very convicting. So, um, so just, just be in prayer uh, for Sunday. Um, when I preach that on Sunday, it's not because I'm mad at the church. It's the next one in the series. It's on unbelief. But it's basically um, the thrust of that is if we say we believe this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that's a very, very narrow claim, right? Like that's, if you get outside of Baptist life or Christian life, and we say something like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, people are going to be like, you are a freak. Like that, that's just the way they see this. You're saying, so he's the only way? Yeah. What if someone doesn't trust in Christ? How, what happens to them after they die? Well, God will judge them based upon their life, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way you can be, have your sins forgiven and enter into heaven is through Jesus Christ. I mean, that, if that's true... We ought to be fanatics. And it's one thing to be a Buddhist, right? I mean, you know, whatever. It's just kind of a fluid belief system, and that's cool for you, and this is cool for me. But boy, if we believe in Jesus, it's, uh, this stuff is not academic. So it's, that's just what's been on my heart lately. And so y'all, y'all be in prayer for that, um, because if we, can, if, we can get, if we can get 50, 100 people from Rocky Mountain Baptist Church that, that are on a dead-set mission to win their friends to Christ... You're not going to be able, I mean, it, the building here is not going to, we're going to have problems with go to multiple services and, you know, have Bible studies throughout the week. It's not going to, it's not going to be the, you know, what a lot of people define church as. So 
Be, be, in, be in prayer for that. Um, here is what we're going to study uh, about tonight. If you want to find the place in your Bible, we're going to be in two places specifically. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, where we were last week, uh, about the image of God. And also over in Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 13. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and uh, Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's a statement by John Bunyan on the image of God. He said, man indeed is the most noble by creation of all creatures in the visible world. But by sin, he has made himself the most ignoble, right? In other words, you think about it like this. When you look at people, right? Any tribe, any nation, you can tell that they are are superior to the animals in, in many ways, right? Not in just brute strength, but in ways to be able to have civilization organized. But... Think of, I guess you could say, the created things in the world that are capable of the most evil. Towards themselves, towards other things. Think, think about things such as, all right, and we're not going to even talk about just war. Think about war, right? Rape, torture, so forth. That comes from humans. So you take, right, the greatest by creation, and then sin, is like Bunyan says, calls them to be the most ignoble. So, um, why is the image of God important? All right. Number one, it's what separates us from the animal kingdom, and secondly, it's what makes us distinctly human. This goes back to our discussion last week that if people are things to be used, then in the work world, people should just be right. They should just have every bit of life worked out of them for as least as you can pay them, and then they're thrown to the side after after you use them. Uh, another thing is if people are only higher animals, and think about that. What if there is no sanctity of life? What if humans are simply higher animals? What may be uh, a consequence of the way that they're treated in society? Anything goes. Okay, okay, anything goes. Yeah, right, as opposed to uh, created in the image of God, sanctity of life, which the word sanctity, what kind, of, what kind of images does that conjure up in our minds? We talk about sanctity of life. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just stuff, right? Like people are not just, just machines to, to be used and, and then discarded. So the fact that we have been created by God uh, is absolutely huge. So here's some verses. Uh, if you want to write these down, the Old Testament, we're just going to take a very brief survey of what the Old Testament says about the image of God, what the New Testament says about it, and then try to look at three ways. Uh, a lot of people have misunderstood it, and then we're going to hit it on the head, hopefully, before we through. Uh, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, part B. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Genesis 9.6. Now notice here, this is pre-Mosaic law, Right? Like Moses hadn't given the law. So some people say that the death penalty um, for the Mosaic law um, only applies in that, I guess you could say, that period of time. But this is actually before. Okay, This is right after the door opened to the ark. Fresh, brand new world with no people except for the ones on the ark. And the text says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. 
For, and here's the reason, or you could, you could translate that because. For or because God made man in his own image. So right here, this is very, very helpful in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, especially when you talk to people in today's world. Because a lot of folks are pretty sensitive to people abusing other people, right? Like, like all right, Occupy Wall Street. Whether we agree with that or not, people are offended in what they think is that people are being abused by other people, right? So, so if we were to go to New York, you would find you know, some of that, that group, which there's some interviews on the internet, a lot um, would not call themselves Christians. You could find common ground with them by this, that the Bible takes very serious human life, that it's not just something to be um, thrown away. This is an interesting thing, too, about murder. Murder is not just an attack upon the person. It's an attack upon the very image of God. And two, you think about murder, not only is it, is it, it, would it be shedding that person's blood, killing them, but you are destroying any possibility of their family line continuing on, which in the Old Testament, that is huge. That is a hugely important thing, even to the point of the kinsman redeemer. Remember that? Right? Like if, if um, like let's say my brother, okay? Let's say if Justin gets married one day, Justin dies, the Bible is so strong. This is very hard for us to filter through in our, in our sexually oriented society. The Bible is so big about the descendants continuing, the family line increasing, that it would be the job of me or my brother to make sure that his widow would have children. That, once again, that doesn't, that doesn't translate to, to, to 21st century Americans because the, our, our culture is so twisted with that concept. But that's how serious it was in the Old Testament um, that family lineage, family history should be continued. It was top on the priority list. So when murder, things such as Cain and Abel, it's not just he killed him, but the attack was on the image of God and, and the family. So it's a big, big deal. So here's the question, though. After the fall of man, when sin entered into the world, was the image of God erased or was it just damaged? According to Genesis 9 and also Genesis 5, which is after the fall, people still were made in the image of God, right? So they still had the image of God, but it wasn't what it was in the beginning. Remember Cain, or not Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve? They had what we don't have. And we talked about this probably a month and a half ago. They, were, they, did, they weren't born sinners, okay? We were born with, I mean, mutated genes and, you know, we, so, uh, the way our bodies work and so forth. Over thousands of years, that's happened. And, but they, and we're born with a sin nature, but they didn't have that. So they actually had the ability to fully choose God without any type of, of, of past baggage. They had the ability to, to fully choose God no matter what. And that's something today that we need the help of the Spirit of the Lord to do, right? And then once we're born again, we still, uh, was it Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, I do. And when I want to do what I really want to do, I can't do that. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So even when we get saved, we still have the old nature that's there. So um, before the fall, the image of God was pure. Today, we still have it, um, but it's a little bit little, little damaged. So here's a few um, references in the New Testament. James chapter 3, verse 9. Now, this is speaking about the tongue and our words. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the what? Image of his son. In order that we might be um, the firstborn, that's he, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into what? Same image. From one degree of glory to another. Translate that, me being less like I once was and being more like Jesus, the more I grow to be like him. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So right there in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Lord is working in us to make us more like Jesus, and that comes through the power of the Spirit. Remember what happens when we get saved? Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. It's like our conscience is on steroids, right? It's not only when we do wrong does our conscience accuse us, but the Holy Spirit is there to tell us that was really wrong. And here's how you get right uh, again. Ephesians 4, 22 through uh, 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the what? the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now see, isn't this cool? Already we're getting a picture of we have the image of God. In other words, we didn't cease to be human when the fall happened, but the gospel came to restore us to be fully human, right? It came to mend what has been broken, make dead, or make alive uh, what, what has been dead. Um, Colossians 3, 8 through 10 But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. Ben and I had a good time at the jail ministry this past week. That's what we're going through. It's an anger resolution seminar just going through the Bible. And it was awesome. It was awesome. So if you guys are interested, um, let me know. And uh, and we'll totally go to jail together. Um, Malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, I love that word, renewed in knowledge after the what? Image of its creator. So the gospel has come to restore, to renew um, the image of God. So we'll stop right here for a second and um, delve into... Three misunderstandings. And this is, a lot of times you're not going to find people who are going to be able to go this deep with you. But just in case, um, these are three things that could really throw people off. Because there are some people today who would say, if God made us in his image, then doesn't that mean that we're little gods? Now, if you, if you didn't understand what the Bible taught and you just took that, that, that imagery, okay, like if I'm in the likeness of God and I'm in the image of God, doesn't that mean that I'm somewhat God-like? And if I'm a little God, then does that mean that I need a Savior? And we think this is crazy, but there's actually a Creflo Dollar um, taught that. I mean, you can find it on YouTube. He says, you are all little gods in a confessing Christian church. Now, if that is true, if I'm a little God and you're a little God, what? I just have to say, 
if that's true, this God needs some serious help, right? Because sometimes I do some dumb things. It'd be, it'd be pretty bad to have like a counseling seminar for, for little gods on how not to be a dumb little god, right? Like that'd be just really weird. So the reason why we're going to look at these is to, uh, to, to guide people who um, have these misunderstandings. One will be the substantive view, um, which would say that the image of God is reason. Okay, now let's stop here. Do humans have reason that's different from the animals? Yeah, yes. But here's where I think in so much of of studying the Bible and theology, people will try to get really, really, really specific and make the Bible say something that it doesn't, and that's where we get into trouble, right? Like even Moses says we must about the mysteries, the hidden things of the Lord. I think it's in Deuteronomy 30. Even John Calvin said we must allow the mysteries of God to remain the mysteries of God. That's Calvin. I mean, the guy wrote like books that would go across this whole room and he only lived to 53, I think. Just crazy. So uh, it would be that, that reason is the image of God. So if, um, <clears throat> if that's true, then we have to define God as reason. You know what we end up with, if that's true? We end up with Aristotle's God. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, you know what, the way all this, all of creation, everything came into being is the universe has always been here, but it needed an unmoved mover, and he defined God as thought thinking itself, right? Like God is the great thinker. God's not necessarily the great doer or the great lover, like in Scripture, the one who is holy but chooses to love those who are unholy, but through salvation makes them like he is by way of being saved. It's just simply God is reason. And if God is just reason, then we've got a lot of reason to be scared. You like that? That was my attempt at a pun tonight. Okay. Um, But here's a question. Talk with me about this. If that's true, and if if the image of God is just reason, then doesn't that mean that the people with the highest intellects are more like God? Or the more rational ones among us. And then who defines what rationale is, right? Like, is it more reasonable to give your life, let's say, to um, an orphanage in India? Or would it be more rational to do everything you can to get as much money as you can because you only come this way once? God's nature answers that question. If God is just reason, then who defines what's reasonable, right? Like even in World War II, was it reasonable for the Nazis to kill off the Jews? Well, it depends if if God exists, right? If God exists, it's not. It's very bad. You shouldn't do that. But if God doesn't exist, and Hitler was right, that Darwin was right, and that Nietzsche was right, then the Germans are the top of the food chain, and then whoever's subhuman just needs to be removed because they're drains on society. So if this is true, you've got a lot of really, really scary uh, options. Also, under this view, you've got the Mormons that say the substantive view is the image of God means that God is, is, is like you and me. He's got some type of a body like ours, um, but scripture, we've gone over this a million times, God is spirit, right? We've got those problems that if God has a body, you know, God is limited, right? God can only be in one place in one time. And if that's true, then how can God be omniscient? How can he be, how can he be all-knowing? Have any observations at this point? All right. So we disagree with Aristotle? Okay. 
Cool. We're not Greek pagans. That's awesome. Number two, um, the, uh, the relational view. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. This view says that the image of God is a relationship of humans to God. Here's a couple of names here. Emil Brunner um, was a liberal German scholar. Okay? He would be one that would say basically um, the Bible is not the word of God. It would contain errors and so forth. He says that the image of God, it's just relationships in society. Like when you have that really good friend that you, I mean, you're just buddy, buddy, or you know, shopping buddy, hunting buddy, um, gaming buddy. That's the image of God. It's just relationship. Y'all feel good? Okay, I feel, feel like it needs to we can play a Beatles song or something right there. Okay, all right. Um, and, and then you got Karl Barth, who said that a male-female relationship, like a husband and a wife, the love there is the image of God. Okay, now let's stop here. Did God create us to have a relationship with Him? Yeah, right. Even before sin entered the world, it also says that God walked with Adam in the garden. Okay, There was some type of relationship there. We've seen that all through Scripture. But um, here is a question that we need to ask. What does there need to be in order for there to be a relationship? Bruner and Bart, they, they never get to this. They, never get, they, they say it's a relationship, right? It's just a relationship. Um, Here's another question we could ask about people who say that the image of God is just good friendship. What about those who disobey God? We've heard the old saying that there's no honor among thieves, but what about those people in the world and they are partners in crime, right? I mean, they're good friends, but boy, they are dedicated together. Let's talk about atheists. Richard Dawkins and those guys who run together, their mission is to not only show that if you're a Christian or you believe in God, that you're dumb, but you're also dangerous to society. Those guys, they have a relationship. They appreciate one another. There's friendship. Is that the image of God? See how that breaks down? It's just that there's one facet of it that's, that's true, that God created us to have a relationship with Him. But if we just say that it's a relationship, then it's, it's just kind of like... We are the world, you know, let's pull out our cell phones and our lighters and kind of sway back and forth. That's basically, it's basically the image of God. Um, you could also go with homosexual relationships. They would say we have a relationship, even outside of the physical aspect. Is that the image of God? Not, not unless you take scissors to, to the Bible and cut and paste. So number three, uh, the functional view, which is the exercise of dominion over creation. Uh, some people will say, right, when in Genesis 1, when God says, give them dominion over the earth, that that in itself is the image of God. And they'll use Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, that says, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the words of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Okay? Now... We do know that humanity was, was commissioned, right? God says, go, subdue the earth, govern it, fill it, okay? Be fruitful and multiply. Jesus also commissioned his disciples. This is interesting to make disciples of all, of all nations. Um, but here's a question. Remember, mankind was given. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 just so that we uh, don't miss this. 
Here's a question for those people that say it's just all about us dominating the earth. All right. Um, in verse 26, <clears throat> we see God says, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice that mankind was given the image of God before mankind actually exercised dominion. Okay? This view here says that if you're not exercising dominion, you don't have what? The image of God. So we could make an argument to this, that those type of people who may not be following the Lord and taking care of the earth are not fully human. Right? Because if the image of God is what makes us human and people are not doing that, then that means that they're no longer human. You just got a lot of, there's a lot of problems with that. Also, the people who would use Psalm chapter 8, notice it never uses any phrases about the image of God or the likeness of God. It just talks about the job that people do to take care of um, all things. So here's a, here's a statement <clears throat> um, that, will, that will, I think, clear it up a little bit. See, what is the image of God? The image refers to something that we are rather than something we have or do. The image of God is the powers of personality which make us capable of interacting with other persons, of thinking and reflecting, and of willing freely. Okay? In other words, we're not animals, right? It's the fact of what we, what does it say? To something that we are. You say, well, what exactly is it? The Bible never gives a specific, this and only this is the image of God. But we know that part of it is reason, right? That's part of it. We know that we have been given an immortal soul or spirit. We also know that we have been given the ability to have quality relationships, right? I mean, isn't that cool? When you think about humans as opposed to animals, animals interact based upon survival alone. And yet... With humans, at least if we view Jesus, he did what is opposite in the animal kingdom. He gave his life so that not his family, because some people say, well, you watch National Geographic, you know, and the mother, like the old, the old story of the hen right on top of her little chicks when the fire came and she was killed, but the chicks survived. Jesus didn't die like that. Jesus died for his enemies. So it's, so it's a total reversal of the law of the jungle and the law of humans, which says you scratch your back, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, something like that. Anyway, all right. Um, the reason, the relational, the dominion and care shown by humans is not the image of God, but is the result of the image, right? The image of God is what gives these things value. It's because we've been made in God's image that reason is there. It's because we've been made in God's image that we have relationships. And that we, like Genesis 1, it's because of the image of God that we exercise dominion and care uh, over the world. <clears throat> and so here's the, here's the action points we'll try to discuss as we close. Let's go to our other text, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. 
one of the greatest smackdowns of Jesus against the Pharisees. You guys remember this story here? We've got, they're trying to pin Jesus in a corner. In verse 13, some of the, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, which are people who followed uh, Herod, were his henchmen, to trap him in his talk. We don't believe in good luck, but good luck, right? When Jesus knows your thoughts, it's kind of hard to do that. Verse 14, and they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. So they try to butter him up. And then they ask the question, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius or a coin and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness or whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, is he talking to a group of Romans or is he talking to a group of Jews? Bingo, he's talking to the Jews. And every Jewish person would have had the book of Genesis ingrained, stamped on their hearts and their minds. And when he held up a coin and everyone saw the image of Caesar, which was stamped upon the coin, and then when Jesus says, give what, what does he say? Render, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar, Caesar's. But then when he turned it, and to God the things that are God's, he reminded every person there that because of the image of God that is, is, I guess you could say, imprinted or implanted or intertwined or created in every single person, we should give ourselves to God. In other words, we belong to him. And in a sense, that's kind of scary for some people because they say, I never chose to belong to God. You ever had anybody ask that? I never asked to be born. I didn't ask to be born in this world or any other. So isn't that kind of like I'm in a prison? Well, if God was a malevolent God, if he was an evil God, that would be pretty rough. But the point that true joy is found in a relationship with God, right? I mean, the, the, the fact that he has given us his image and desires us to have a relationship with him, he's trying to draw all of humanity experience what is the greatest thing, which is to have the joy, true joy, that is not circumstantial, that's rooted in a God who never changes. So that, and that's a powerful text. So I think this is a great action point, that, that when you go work today, this week, know that we belong to God. Once again, that is VBS truth, but it is very, very, very profound. Um, I used to have a friend when he would work out and he would yell at the weights saying, I own you, I own you. So I just think, whatever, whatever helps, right? Like the Lord owns us, but he's not trying to bench press us. He's trying to just bring us to himself. Number two, um, true humanness should be modeled after Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the perfect human being. So if I want to fully experience what it means to be human, I should follow Jesus, once again, that's, that's the break to today's world. Today's world says, get all you can, consolidate power for yourself. But the gospel says, whatever you have, give it away for the gospel, right? Give your life, give your time, give your affections to the gospel. 
And it's through that that we gain true fulfillment, which I think is, I, that's just been one of the things the last few years the Lord has really, really, really um, continued to speak to me about, about the radical change uh, of this, of just, and we know that Jesus wasn't just our example, right? Some liberal scholars will say, well, he was our example, but he wasn't our sacrifice, right? I mean, that's just too bloody. That's just too gory. Jesus was our sacrifice. He was our substitute, but he's also our example, okay? And so if we can follow Jesus, then we're going to experience the promises that Jesus gives. Uh, Number three, and there's one more, all persons have the image of God, although damaged by sin. If all people have the image of God, what do you think that that does to racism? Okay, destroys it. Um, have y'all ever known anyone in church growing up, wherever, and they've said things like, um, uh, the mark of Cain is black skin? And they, they, they may not come out and say it like this, but some people, they'll try, they'll try to take the Bible and, and, and without, minus the big words, say white people are better than everybody else. Okay? According to these scriptures that we've looked at, every single person that has been created by God has the image of God. And all are guilty before God. That's why all need the gospel. It's such a freeing thing. I've always thought about this. How difficult would it have been to be an SS stormtrooper, right? The, the, the German, I mean the top guys in Hitler's squad, right? He's like his kill squads. You were told that you were the best, you were the superior in every way. Like, what if you forgot to tie your shoestring, right? Like, there'd be no way to get out of that. There'd be no grace. And often people will take the Bible and they'll try to twist it around to say that there's some type of of hierarchy. And something, too, I think is interesting. When we think of great preachers, um, once again, God has used all people, used white people. But in, in the South America, often we think of white preachers, Right? Because that's who's been popularized in our culture. Nothing wrong with a white preacher, but if you look back in church history, one of the greatest scholars, theologians, was Augustine, and he was from North Africa. Very interesting. All of the people that God used to write the scriptures were not Europeans. They were Near Eastern Semites. In fact, Jesus was not a European. He was... A Jew. So it's, once again, we're not saying we, you know, to, to go to, uh, I guess some people call it reverse discrimination or anything like that. This is very, very freeing to me that I don't ever have to feel um, like I have to be better or inferior to anyone else. That all people have been given the image of God. And uh, finally, I love this. The gospel mends, repairs, makes alive what is broken down and dead. That's why we believe the gospel, right? We believe the gospel because all people have the image of God. They understand he exists. And all people need the forgiveness of Christ through the gospel. So I just hope that this is an encouraging. Do you guys have any closing thoughts, remarks, points? Jewish men that were there. I mean, 
Yes. They pulled it right out. Mm-hmm. And he knew they had it. Mm-hmm. And so they were already carrying around images they weren't supposed to be carrying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. In fact, one of the things that it doesn't get mentioned a lot when we teach about Pilate, but there had already been a large Jewish insurrection because he had, he had brought the Roman standards, the, the eagle and so forth, into Jerusalem. And that was anathema. That was a no-no for the Jewish people. So actually had the Romans bring that outside of the city because everyone was going crazy. So that would have been a, a sign of hypocrisy um, for sure. No graven images. None. So it's kind of hard to go up against Jesus when he knows your thoughts, right? So it's again. Well, uh, I hope that this has has helped clear the waters or muddy them up somewhat. Just we'd be prepared to uh, talk to people who have questions about this. Well, let me pray for us, and then uh, then we'll go. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you've given us the capacity to know that you exist, and through the gospel, you've presented us a a way to truly live life the way that it should be lived. And we pray, Lord, for those who are in countries right now to where they are being persecuted. And we pray, God, just as we watch that Richard Wormbrand video, um, that we would reflect upon our lives and just like that pastor who was lamenting the fact that he brought 400 people to Christ when it could have been 401. Lord, would you help us to go after that one? Would you help us to go out of our way? to share life with people who don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen.